Alright, so Preston, um, there's been a lot of news in the past 72 lot hours. Lots of news. Lots of news in the past 72 hours. I don't know where to start, whether it's the... I've uh, never seen such a, such a Game of Thrones news day. Yeah. Um, whether it's Dave and Dan stepping away from Star Wars, which I guess season 8 had to die for, for this and for what now. Um, the fact that the Long Night prequel, Blood Moon, is no longer going ahead, and the actual confirmed prequel, which is essentially Fire and Blood, um, the House of the wow. Dragon, it's, it's just, we're all over the place here. Um, where do we start? Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that, but I, I, I kind of want to talk about this Dan and Dave um, meltdown discussion. <laughs> so, apparently, they were at some, uh, some panel, um, uh, Hashtag for why, Arya. See, why would why would they do this? Like, why would they do this to themselves? Because, this is just like, <laughs> well, for Arya on Twitter has the whole thread, um, and uh, apparently they uh, were at the Austin Film Festival, and uh, yeah, I guess this is their last Thrones related panel that they're ever going to do because you can tell these guys really want to get away from Game of Thrones, and I understand you, they were doing it for ten years. They're kind of sick of talking about it. I mean, we're they not. They want to get but... back to X Men Origins Wolverine talk. Is this? <laughs> they want to get back into that. Well, they want to do. They want to do new stuff. And um, during the panel, they revealed from some pretty insane things. And I gave you the article uh, from Vanity Fair like ten minutes ago, yeah. and you're just like, "Whoa, what? Whoa!" It's just yeah. wowing you all over the place. So uh, go go through some it's, of the. It's things. almost like it's almost hard to believe, but yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. What was the thing you were just telling me about Jason Momoa? Well, they said that David was saying that they went to a fan casting pages for, for choosing people, and that's how they found Jason Momoa and cast him as Cal Drogo. Which, I mean, I have to say, great choice. Mm -hmm. But great choice to the fan casting page. I mean, Jason Momoa did a fantastic job. Of course. Yeah. In fact, um, he... Game of Thrones... I don't think has one bad casting, as far as I can think. Charles Dance, born to play Tywin. Sean Bean, he oh, is Ned Stark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even even people that, like, initially you'd think were outside of, of the casting. Like, if someone said Lena Headey, I'd be like, eh, isn't she a little old to play Cersei? It's like, no, well, she's also just the master of the craft and makes it work, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, Jason Momoa, who, like... Did such a good job that years later people are like, "Oh, you speak English?" And he's like, "Damn it!" <laughs> <laughs> the only casting choice I could I didn't really care about that much. Thinking back on it now, with everything that we know, was Bran. Bran could have really been played by anybody, in my opinion. Um, but mm, like, yeah, like Jon Snow. Like, I, did you know that the the character, the actor for um, Ramsay, Ian Rian, I think I probably butchered his name. He was originally yeah. going for Jon Snow. I can't imagine oh, him yes, as a yes, Jon Snow. Oh, yes, yes, I had read that, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny, because Jon Snow, I mean, Jon Snow in the book is is less attractive. Um, actually, both actors are probably probably too attractive to play Jon Snow. Um, so, it's you know, they went with the heartthrob. Um, not that Ramsay's a bad-looking guy, but Jon Snow is not a good-looking guy. So, you know, but it, everybody's better looking, I guess, in, in adaptations. Mm -hmm. And Tyrion, too. I mean, Tyrion is... They, the Brad Pitt of dwarves. He is. He cast. is. Is this how Comic Book Nineteen said? I, sw I swear she said that. Yeah, it's, it's Comic Book Girl Nineteen. Yeah. yeah. She's like, that, that was, I just remember that very early on. She's like, they cast the Brad. They cast Peter, Peter Dinklage, the Brad Pitt of dwarves. I was like, oh, because <laughs> yeah, Tyrion is not supposed to be good looking, even for a dwarf. He's, but, he's not even supposed to have most of his nose. 
Well, yeah, his nose gets cut off after the Battle of uh, Blackwater. Mm-hmm. They gave him a nice little scar um, thing here. But just just uh, reading for Arya's, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, whole thing on the on the panel is is out of this world because I, I just can't think of any off the top of my head. But there have been movies that turn out to be amazing that just had a bunch of like production issues. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I know I've read a you know like there are several movies that somehow were miraculously made and just came out very good. And this is Thrones Season 1. I firmly believe Game of Thrones Season 1 is one of the best things in television ever. I love Season 1. It was fantastic. No, Season no. 1 is fantastic, yeah. Oh, God. And, but, but, and but when you read like what this guy is saying about what Dave and Dan said at the panel, you're like, how the fuck did this thing get made? They Well, I think it was carried by the actors, and it was carried by the fact that most of the dialogue was from the book. Mm. Um, I mean, when you... They, they, they say in the panel that they let the actors redefine their roles. And it's like, well, when you're, let, when you're letting Sean Bean like redefine something, and it is true, I will say that show, show edited is, is a bit different from book edited. Um, uh, book edited is kind of, he thinks himself honorable, but he actually does have some secretly you know, dishonorable thoughts going on his he- in his head some scheming and paranoia and biases. And Sean, but Sean Bean plays him straight good guy, and which which works. Um, but you know, when you have Sean Bean like being such an incredible actor or 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 Lena Headey or Peter Dinklage and the people that dominated season 1, I mean it's it's going to come out okay. And all the dialogue is I mean 75% of the dialogue is from the book. So, you know, they added some extra scenes to give Theon some some screen time with Roz. That that's this um, the thing here. Um, two months before the pilot yeah. was to air, the episodes were averaging thirty nine minutes, and HBO had them uh, write and film one hundred more minutes of scenes to meet their contractual obligations. For example, they added a scene with Robert and Cersei, and realized there they they, they wanted to add a a scene with Robert and Cersei, and realized there was no scene with them because in the books, mm. Cersei and Robert are not like you know point of view characters and. Right. Ned was never in the room with them if they ever had a conversation like that in the books. Um, once again, like that's crazy because that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire yeah, series. Yeah, I remember the scene. Yeah. yeah, amazing. But it's it's, but it's it's a scene because both of them are such professional good actors, and it's just all written on their face. Like when I think back to the scene, I can't even remember their dialogue, oh, but I God. remember I remember the look of disappointment, but. A strange, distant, reluctant respect, like like kind of came through, which obviously is not from the book at all. Like neither character respected each other or loved each other in any in any sense, mm-hmm. um, and so they kind of added this, and it it, it added some richness. Um, I, I I will give the scene. I think the scene is great, um, but I do think it's it was from it was from the actors, you know, and how good the actors were. Uh, what else do they have here? Um... Let's see here. Uh, that stood out for me. Uh, yeah, for the final roles, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what else? The moderator asked them why they chose to write all the episodes by themselves because we didn't know any better. David said HBO wanted them to hire other writers, and they decided to have Brian Cogman, their assistant, write four episodes. So Brian Cogman was originally their assistant, and he went on to write what... Weren't you the one that said Cogman is the guy that's very, you know... Uh, he's, he's, he's into continuity porn. Yeah. Right. He, he loves referencing previous plot threads and bringing them in. Mm-hmm. He has he has a better better attention for detail than uh, and he in the end he was writing better episodes. Yeah. So this is a thing that has been like driving people up a wall, but I have to I like I have to defend Dave and Dan for for making this decision. 
So it says here, Dan wanted to remove as many fantasy elements as possible because, and he's quoting, we didn't just want to appeal to that type of fan. They wanted to expand the fan base to people beyond the fantasy fan base, to mothers and NFL players. Now, in a previous podcast episode, you said how you liked the fact that the show didn't have that many fantasy elements in it, or I think it was yeah. magic elements. Yeah. No, I thought I think I mean it sounds like they stumbled into that, but I thought it was I thought it was great. Um, and keep in mind when you read the book. So when they say like you know, when, in the book, when they describe things, they'll describe it in a fantastical way, but they might actually be describing something regular, but they think it's fantastical because it's, they're all, it's all from, you know, the point of view of people living in the Middle Ages. Right. Um, that, that's harder to push, pull off when, when, you know, it's visual and you're just seeing what's there is there. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, I mean, I, I bring up Storm's End as, as an example. Like, Storm's End, Catalan's description of Storm's End uh, she describes it like a castle, but if you read closely, it, it's a completely modern structure. It, it's, it's very odd, like it, cement walls, like smooth cement walls is what she describes. Um, and so I, I wonder if like Storm's End used to be a you know, nuclear power plant or a hydroelectric plant or something. Mm. Um, but granted, if you were going to put that on screen, you're ruining the surprise. Uh, you're ruining the mystery. So you have to just portray Storm's End as a castle. And, th and that's what they did, and I think that's a better choice because it, had you put something strange, everyone would be wondering what, what that was. Uh, through Catalan's eyes, it's all kind of a mystery, but you, I don't think you can pull that off um, on screen. So I, I think that was really good that they pulled back the magic because, I, I, you know, I, I don't think there's much magic in the, in the story. Um, I just think it's people's interpretation of it, you know. Like, People resurrecting people on a beach. You know? mm -hmm. um, this is here in season one. They wanted to have a battle, but they ran out of money. So they had the drinking game scene between Shay, Tyrion, and Bronn. Um, the battle where Rob sends 2,000 men to uh, kind of uh, fake out Tywin's uh, forces. I forgot which battle that was. It was. I don't think it was Oxcross. It was... Whispering Wood? I might have been Whispering Wood. Maybe. Yeah. Whispering Wood, he sends, he sends half of his forces off to fight at the Green Fork. I mean, in the and then where he, he captures Jamie does whispering, yeah, and then he captures Jamie at the Whispering Wood. So he does the diversion. There's two simultaneous battles: uh, Green Fork and and Whispering Wood. Well, to be fair, I believe in the books. Correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't Tyrion like kind of participate in the battle somewhat? And at one point, he looks up at his father, and like his father's just sit, like standing there, stoic, just watching the battle unfold. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in the book, Tyrion has a has a very intricate, long battle scene. Um, where he has a, a helmet with a, with, a, with a spike on it, and he ends up stabbing a horse with it, and then he ends up getting a guy to surrender, and everyone starts yelling, half-man, and he's fighting alongside the mountain. That's the, that's the weird mm. thing as well. It's like the two of them are on the same side fighting together, uh, and he and the mountain overperform. Tywin expected both of them to, to fail, and that was his plan. He wanted to sacrifice uh, one side of the battlefield to cause Rob's forces to overcommit. And then he would turn uh, his brother's forces uh, and then uh, crush them against the river. Um, the problem is, is that the mountain and uh, Tyrion overperform and, and the mountain clans overperform. And so he's unable to, do the, to, do the, uh, to pull the maneuver. Mm. 
and me and he, yes he looks up at his father who who's just watching as the as the leader of the reserves he doesn't he doesn't want to you know and he, what's weird is Tyrion actually admires the position even though it's clearly cowardly and he just doesn't want to get himself hurt right you know but, but uh, no, the fact that Tyrion in the show gets knocked out and he misses the battle completely, that worked. I mean, we didn't really need that battle it, scene. I, I think it worked. I thought it worked fine. I think it, I think it was a little stupid. Like, I would, have been, I would have liked better just them beginning the battle and then Tyrion going into the battle and then them just cutting and then the next episode starts and the battle is done. Mm-hmm. Like, why not just have that? If you, if you want to cut away from the battle, cut away from the battle. I just think it was cheap to have him knocked, and slapstick to have him knocked on the head and then <laughs> wake up after the battle. I mean, I don't know. It, I'm not into that type of humor. It, it, would have been, it would have been more annoying if the battle had begun and Tyrion did his thing, he started fighting, and then it just, like, faded away, and then next scene the battle was over. I would have been more pissed off, but the fact that he kind of missed the battle... I'm okay with that. But it honestly, once again, it worked. Season one, I think, is one of the only few seasons that doesn't have a major battle. One of the best seasons. Mm. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Is as, as much as people like battles and think they're cool, they're also forgettable. Like, we don't really need them. Like, I didn't, you know, I don't need half the episode to be the Battle of the Bastards. I didn't need, you know. Honestly, the one battle that was incredibly forgettable was the uh, Battle of Fire and Marine. That one was incredibly just, eh. The Battle of the Bastards is really short, all we yeah. needed. Yeah. Um, Pretty short, actually. They pitched HBO and, and promised them that we would downplay the fantasy elements. Uh, but, you know, we we still got the Night King and the White Walkers. And, yeah, that is kind of fantasy-ish. The fact that they played yeah. down the whole magic thing, I like that. Because the, the magical stuff in Game of Thrones has always been grounded. There are very few mm-hmm. characters, even in the books, who could snap their fingers and create a fireball. That's like Lord of the Rings high fantasy stuff. I like this grounded fantasies. Melisandre just can't conjure a shadow assassin from, like, thin air. She has to actually give birth to it. It's more grounded in... I don't want to say realism, because magic is not real, but if magic was real, it'd be She like even that. comes back in the show and says, and says, hey, this potion causes people to hallucinate. And, they, and, and so you don't even know if the... the, in the sh- you don't even know if what Davos saw was there. Mm-hmm. I mean... You de- you definitely have the shadow killing Renly. Uh, we have that scene, right? But it, you know she does she does have that line where they can they give a bit of an out like oh this causes people to hallucinate, you know and you're like oh this is when he, she's talking to Solis. It's an added scene between Melisandre and where Solis, she's taking where the she's bath. Take, yeah, she's taking the bath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you know they they, they introduce the idea that eh, that wasn't magic, you know. Well, people got really mad at that. They also, we also, uh, one interesting one here is they're expressing regret about putting the baby on the block of ice and him screaming. The mother was not happy because Dan just kept talking about a close-up of the baby's penis. So now I understand why we finally got that close-up of that man's penis in our face in season six during the, uh, the <laughs> festival scene where Arya is like, you know, walking around. You remember that? Where the guy's like literally yeah. right in your face and the guy's like, are there warts on there? Are there warts? Dude, really? Yeah. So I, I, now we what know that's uh, fucking yeah. uh, Dan Weiss's uh, idea just to fucking do that for some reason. Um, but uh, no, I still don't understand the point of having that baby there. I thought the Long Night prequel would have uh, cleared that up for us, but I guess not. <sighs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> the other thing here is uh, that pissed people off is, were you listening to, fa- uh, to feedback to your fans as things went along? Dan says, we really did not. Dan doesn't see the value of considering other people's reactions. Dave acknowledged that he Googled the show and it upset him. 
Dan, no. Dan did not Google. It's a mixed... So listening to fans is a mixed bag. Yes. Um, def- definitely, like, there's going to be people that are going to complain about everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes fans don't know what they want until oh, it's God, given yeah. to them. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, no, no one, you know, prior to Star Wars coming out, no one said, oh, I really want some Star Wars. Like, no, it just, it came out. And, you know, and when Return of the Jedi, when, I'm sorry, when Empire Strikes Back came out, you know, people hated Yoda at first. They were like, oh, stupid kid's puppet. And then over time, everyone's like, no, Yoda, Yoda is pretty genius. So, you know, a lot of times people don't know what they want, and, and you know, you've got to, but at the same time, there's some valuable stuff that, that fans can say in there, um, you know. Not everyone is an idiot. I feel like fan um, ideas after the fact are way better than before. Oh, sure. Like, yeah. like, like your 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 idea about you know. I, I still think this is one of the most genius things you've ever said. And where in season seven, right as the Hound comes across that those groups of people that he like left behind in season four, the the father and the mm-hmm. daughter, and he's trying to yeah. like dig the grave for them, and he can't because the ground is frozen over. Like that's that's that was your entirely your idea. That's genius, and he like breaks yeah. down because he just seems like he can't do anything right. That's it's amazing. Right, metaphorically, he can't bury the dead, mm-hmm. like, and he literally can't bury the dead. That would be better than him just burying. Right, you know? yeah, I love that. Um, but it always seems like the fans have better ideas after the fact. So I understand that one, and I also don't blame them for turning down the fantasy element because once again, this is not Lord of the Rings. This is the one thing Game of Thrones had to do was not to be Lord of the Rings, despite having Sean being there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, the other day I was putting up. Um, a towel rack in my in my in my house and I did you know whatever shoddy job and then I asked myself okay if I had a hundred people come forward and do this job how many would do a better job than me certainly out of a hundred probably ten people would do a better job than me so it, it, I mean it's an odd thing when you think about another th- 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 kind of thing like you're a writer and you've written something and then you have all this fan reaction yeah a certain percentage of the fans are gonna be better than you, or write something better, just because there's just because of the numbers, you know. And so, you know, you can you can do what you want with it. You can mine for for good ideas, um, you know, steal if you will, or you know, take constructive criticism. But the problem is, is that there's so much negative in there. You know, the human mind um, doesn't deal with criticism well, and you need. I think in management classes and stuff, uh, they say that you have to give somebody something like five to ten pieces of of good positive reinforcement before you know to counteract a single piece of negative um and you're not going to get that kind of stuff when you look at uh fan reactions fan reactions are going to be mostly negative and you're going to end up killing yourself and feeling really sad if you read them all so i don't know it's tough i mean i understand why they wouldn't go wouldn't check out fan fan reactions because it's just You'd be sad all the time. Well, some people are just assholes for the sake of being assholes. Like, like I said, like seasons yeah. one, two, and three were fucking awesome, but there were still people in the fandom who hated those seasons for whatever reason. You're never gonna please everybody, and that that was my one, like that was my one problem with a lot of people during season eight. We both agree that season eight wasn't good, but there was stuff in season eight to like. And there were just people mm. that just didn't like anything at all. Like, like the one scene I always, uh, I always go back to is. Um, uh, it was a beautiful scene where the Night King is walking towards Bran. The music is good, you know, like going yeah. around every, you know, around the castle where everybody's just fighting for their lives. That's a great scene, and people didn't like the music. People didn't like the costume. Like I, I'm just sitting here, like, did, 
are you trying very hard to hate everything, or do you just genuinely hate everything? Because despite season eight being shit, there was still stuff in there that was actually pretty good. The CGI was good, you know, the music was good. Yeah. Um, what else we have here? Oh, they they said, did you really sit down and try to boil elements of the books down? Um, did you really try to understand its major elements? So they said, no, we didn't. The scope was too big. It was about the scenes we were trying to depict, and the show was about power. And I understand that. There were there are some scenes in um, the books that you really could leave out, and there are some scenes you really can't. And there are some scenes that could be added, like the the fucking, um, for example, season two. We didn't really need scenes between Arya and Tywin, but they're some of the best in the entire show. Yeah. Where yeah. Tywin says, you know, uh, your father, uh, you know, what killed him? And she goes, loyalty. I love it. Great scene. In the books, correct me if I'm wrong, it was Arya and Roose Bolton, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So they really weren't trying to adapt A Song of Ice and Fire. They were just trying to adapt the best parts of those books, which I understand. Yeah, I mean, on, on certain things, certain things they adapt very, very well, and certain things they adapt pretty poorly. I mean, Dan and Dave, they didn't miss the major themes or point of the story. Like, this, the point of the story is that this is a really violent tale to tell us that war is bad. And I think we got hit over the head with that message, you know, in the series, too. I don't think they missed the point um, in that respect. I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of, uh, you know, gender issues that, that are brought up in the book, and, and these gender issues are brought up in the show as well. Um, did they execute them all perfectly? No, but they certainly brought them up. I don't, I don't think Dan and Dave, like, in a very broad sense, misunderstood Ice and Fire. Um, I think they got that. But, uh, which, I mean, and keep in mind, a lot of people misunderstand Ice and Fire. Like, these people that are like, yeah, I read Ice and Fire because I love, like, good, good battle scenes. And you're like, oh, that's not really the point. It's, it's about the horror of war, but okay, you know? And they're like, yeah, I love it. This character's awesome. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, certain characters, I would say, they mess up, and certain scenes they mess up, certain themes. But I think for the most part, they got it, you know? I'm, I'm not, like like, like I you said know. before we started, like, it's it's a goddamn miracle that uh, they even got this whole thing running. Like, it says here that the person they pitched the pilot to was someone who was very hard to pitch anything to, towards. And not to mention, what were you saying before we started, uh, besides the Jason Momoa thing, how like they went to George R. R. Martin and they said, we really, really didn't know why he trusted us with his, like, his <laughs> magnum opus, I guess this is? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know why. He, I mean, I don't know. It was... It depends how it's how it's presented. Like you think if George R. R. Martin had the pull at that point to be like different showrunners, and HBO would be like, okay. I mean, it might have been presented like HBO is like these are the showrunners, and and he's like, okay. I mean, you know, they seem fine. Um, I don't, you know, I have to go back in time and understand like the power structure. Like back then, you know, George R. R. Martin wasn't, you know god on the planet like he is now like now you feel like if george r R. martin said no to something everyone would be like okay but at the time i don't know i don't know if he knew his power Mm -hmm. so who knows you know just just reading this is is insane i I think i think the one thing i was trying to come back to earlier was star wars the original star wars a new hope 
Um, nothing worked. Uh, everything was just, you know, not going the way George Lucas wanted. I think he had a panic yeah. attack at one point. He had to go see a therapist. His wife had to take over. Um, and it turned out to be amazing. And this is just one of those stories that's just going to go down in infamy where, you know, it it was made miraculously and it turned out amazingly for the first few seasons and the way it ended. I don't know. I mean, it. this is funny things. Like, I do fundamentally believe that, like, having a movie or a show come together is amazing. Like, it's amazing to me that hundreds, if not thousands of people, like, work together in all of these different, you know, moving parts. Mm -hmm. And a piece of art, it pops out. And sometimes that piece of art is wonderful, <clears throat> and sometimes that piece of art is horrible, and it's really hard to pin down exactly what happened in that bureaucracy, you know, to, to, to change it. And you know, sometimes they, they put all of the, the blame at the, at the top. And, and may, maybe in this situation with, with Dan and Dave, that's the case. And then sometimes they're like, oh, if we just get that, that special person at the top, everything else will be fine. And that's certainly not the case. Mm -hmm. Like, great directors make horrible movies. Um, you know, it's, so it's, it's, uh, it's weird. You know, I, I, I think it's amazing that the first few seasons came together like they did. I think it's amazing that the last few seasons fell apart like they did. Um, I, and I don't, I don't fully understand why it happened. I mean, the, the simple answer is, oh, well, they had good source material. And then at the end, Dan, Dan and Dave were rushed and they, they didn't have any source material. And so it was just, it was just crap. They had like a whole year to um, do that. I mean, and I think that's all part of it, but I think there's a lot of other things that they were trying to juggle, um, you know, and try to please. You know, cause we sit here and like you and me are like, oh, we don't really care that much about battle scenes and tits and dragons and CGI. Mm -hmm. But for for those 10 million people that watch Game of Thrones, like maybe a lot of them do. The moms, like, the NFL players. Right. Like, you know, Transformers 2 was a huge financial success. And I look at that and go, oh, my God, like this is the lowest common denominator of crap. <laughs> like, how could anyone like this? <laughs> and yet it did great. It did fantastic. People went out, and they had several sequels. You know, and I, I don't, I don't understand it. So, you know, being sympathetic to Dan and Dave, maybe they were thinking about that too. Like, what level of fan service and cheap shit, and you know, do we throw in? What about timelines? What about moving on to something else? Like our careers, you know, it's 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 tough. It's tough to it's tough to, to understand it all. Well, they said that they left Star Wars. Let, let, let's let's get into this. Uh, let, let, <laughs> let, let's get into the whole Dave and Dan leaving Star Wars. They said they left Star Wars because of schedule conflicts and all that stuff. I personally yeah. believe that it wasn't them leaving amicably. I think they just quit because the writing is on the wall. And I think this has nothing to do with Dave and Dan. I think it has everything to do with Star Wars. Kathleen Kennedy. I think it has everything to do with Star Wars. Kathleen Kennedy. Something is happening. Who is the boss of Lucasfilm. Um, she has fired, like, including Dave and Dan, five directors. Uh, Gareth Edwards with Rogue One. Uh, Josh mm -hmm. Trank with the Boba Fett film, which was scrapped. Yeah. Originally, Lord and Miller for Solo. Then Ron Howard came in. Um, Colin mm -hmm. Trevorrow with Episode Nine. Then, you know, he... JJ came in and did that. But if you notice, with a lot of these guys, even Dave and Dan, they, they keep hiring guys who have never done anything major ever. Um, right. For example, before 
they hired uh, when they when they picked Ryan Johnson to do Last Jedi. Before Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson did one film, Looper, which I enjoyed, and a few episodes mm-hmm. of Breaking Bad. Why the fuck would you yeah. put the hands of the franchise of this multi-billion-dollar franchise in the hands of a guy mm-hmm. who doesn't have that much experience under his belt? Same with Josh Trank. Josh Trank before he before Fantastic Four stick even came out. They tapped him to do a Boba Fett film. Why? What had he done before that? He kind of did Chronicle. And that's like a found yeah. footage film about uh, kids that get like superpowers. Um, Colin Trevorrow, once again, Jurassic World came out in 2015, the same year as Force Awakens. Colin Trevorrow was tapped to do Episode Nine before Jurassic World came out. What had he done before that? A couple of films. Yeah, now, I so... so. Definitely something is happening at Disney with regards to Lucasfilm. Um, I think they're questioning what's going on in their, in their bureaucracy and their management structure that causes these films to have problems. The problem is, is control. That's essentially the problem. Kathleen Kennedy wants major control of all these films. She, when, when Solo was 90% finished, she came in and saw what Lord Miller did, didn't like it, fired them on the spot, and had Ron Howard do a bunch of reshoots. She, and, and, she's, and she's actually clashed multiple times with J.J. Abrams on Force Awakens, and from what I heard on Rise of Skywalker as well. Yeah, and, and I have no idea what's going on with focus groups and things like that. I will say I'm going to, <clears throat> first off, like minimize the importance of, of fanboys like us on the internet. I do not think that, that us railing about Star Wars films on, the, on YouTube has any impact at all. Of course. And I don't think, you know, I don't, th- but I think some people really do. I think some people are like, you know, the, some guy, self-important guy that does a video on how, on how Ray is a Mary Sue or, or something thinks that like he, he's gonna impact how things are done. And it's like no, independent of you know people's ideas about the plot, because I don't think they really care about the plot. I don't think they they care whether or not the Last Jedi uh, was a good plot or a good film. I think what they care about is how smoothly the process was. Like Solo was a mess. You know, to fire directors when the film is ninety percent shot and redo the whole thing, and then. You know, be, and then have it only perform moderately, meaning it didn't get its money back. Like all Star Wars films need to do massive business in order to get their money mm-hmm. back. Um, and that's weird that like, and Solo was an okay movie, and it, you know, but at the same time it was so tumultuous. And then um, now we're, we're talking about reshoots and and stuff happening with Rise of Skywalker. And so with with. Those two things happening to get, you know, and after Rogue One, which was a little bit of a debacle as well, you know, they, they're definitely trying to restructure their organization to get these things out smoothly um, to make money, uh, which they seem to be failing at. Um, and you're right. I think it does boil down to they keep taking inexperienced directors and giving them the most enormous movies of all time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like... Uh, so, I mean, in that sense, like, Dan and Dave, like, they were, the fact that they were able to, like, manage Game of Thrones, I can understand why, Luke, why Disney wanted them. Like, oh, you know how to juggle ten things at once. Who else knows how to juggle ten things at once? You know, James Cameron? You know? Well, like, James Cameron <laughs> like, has a big uh, price tag. He has a big, uh, he has a big fee. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Michael Bay. Like, and that's the thing is, okay, as much as I trash like Transformers, Michael Bay was able to manage this huge, huge thing, you know? Well, granted, most of it People was CGI, on, I mean. But that's the thing is managing CGI is a whole thing in itself because you have to get actors to go on green screens and you have to all be, have all be seamless and you have to give CGI artists like their timelines and if you don't, it looks, it looks crap. Like people were talking about like what's the big, if I, t if I asked you what's the big weakness of Black Panther, you mm. know. That's like, some people would say like that final CGI. Battle. Oh yeah, I didn't like that. Like that was unnecessary. Right. And that was that's because they didn't they didn't give those guys a time like uh, enough time, you know. And so that was that was part of the bureaucracy like failing, you know. And so Disney needs to work on that, you know, getting getting these things together. Now I will say that CGI wise, Star Wars has been fantastic. Um, oh yeah, of course. Looks great. So. In that sense, they're doing a really great job, um, but some other things are not working out. So, so yeah, they, 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 have to, they have to they have to figure it out. It, it just bothers me that Game of Thrones had to die for this, and then they didn't even finish it. They didn't. I, I really wanted to see what they could have done with the Star Wars material because they can pull from Legends, some of the best stuff in Legends, and do something with that, like the, the Knights of the Old Republic stuff. They could have done stuff with that very easily. And uh, if if we all know Dave and Dan are good at one thing, it's adapting shit, not doing their own shit, but, it but sounds, adapting it. It sounds like it sounds like Dave and Dan were kind of making it up as they went along, and that they got a little lucky. They got a little lucky with all of these great actors, like filling in for 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 bad script writing. Mm -hmm. um, I think they did a great job managing costuming and and all the locations and everything. I mean, they did some, that's some fantastic work that they pulled that all together. Right, they got um, lucky, but now they got their shit together and they know exactly what they're doing and they, according to the, the thing from uh, For Aria, they kept their crew together. They kept a, kept a good chunk of their core uh, group together. So the, the whole casting yeah, thing, I mean, we don't have to worry about Star uh, Game of Thrones actors <laughs> coming going away for Star Wars because as we've seen with Star Wars, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, some of them are still on here. I mean, it's, that, that, that's something to really commend Dan and Dave for, that, that their crew, they kept that core crew together, the crew became more and more experienced, and so the battles, for the most part, got better. Um, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they got, they, they got a real talent for that um, near the end there. So, yeah, they could have, they could have, you know, when it comes to a Star Wars battle, they probably would have had a great Star Wars battle um, with practical effects, even, instead of all CG. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, you know, there are certain things I think Dan and Dave got really good at. I think they probably got really good at managing people. Um, of course, you know, with most things, you don't, you don't gain the courage and experience until you're finished with something. You, you know, you, you, you go into something, like, not really knowing what you're doing, and then afterwards you have all the experience. Right. Um, so now, they, now Dan and Dave are probably really good at, like, bringing together multiple, multiple people, different, different sets, uh, all these different... Personality. It doesn't even matter anymore because it doesn't matter. It doesn't anymore. matter. Yeah. yeah. I really, I really wanted to know what their idea for Star Wars was. I really wanted to know. I really wanted to see it too. But they have the freedom now. Um, stormtrooper dicks. Just a lot of stormtrooper dicks <laughs> in your face. But the, but they have the freedom though. They have the clout from doing Game of Thrones, uh, and they have the freedom to pick and choose what they want to do. And Netflix, I from what I heard, gave them an eight to nine figure deal. 
uh, to go work with them. I heard, I heard there was like a bidding war too between like Amazon. So what are they doing? Any any, any idea? It's an unnamed project. Unnamed project, but they're just gonna be mostly doing stuff with Netflix. And that's what I was thinking. Like, who the fuck in their right mind would trade Disney for Netflix? And the only thing that Disney, the only thing that Netflix does that Disney doesn't do is give people creative freedom. There there have been multiple interviews that I've I've seen and read where people behind you know a lot of shows have said how they love working for Netflix because Netflix lets them do whatever the fuck it is they want to do. Let Netflix doesn't come yeah. in and give them notes and stuff. They Netflix just says here, do your mm. stuff, give us something good, go come back with something. And HBO kind of does that kind of now and then if you prove yourself. But Disney, no, it's uh, Disney. Disney holds uh, control very tightly, and that's why I think they they quit because they saw the writing on the wall. Last Jedi was very lukewarm for a lot of people. Even if you really liked it, there are more people who were kind of just very eh with it or really didn't like it. Solo, not a lot of people gave gave a fuck about Solo. I mean, if people cared about Solo, people would have gone see it. I actually don't think Last Jedi was the 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 thing because Le- Last Jedi didn't have as much trouble as the other movies. Like I'm, I I think the problem was Solo, and the problem is is Rise of Skywalker. Like that's where they're hearing the most trouble. I mean, even though that Ryan, even though Ryan Johnson was, you know, way over his head in what he was doing, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it it still came together. Like, you know, timeline wise, like. Um, there weren't there weren't you don't hear of fights on the sets and things like that like you do with Solo and Rise of Skywalker. Wait, there were fights you know, on the set with these... Solo because I actually didn't really, with the exception of firing Lord and Miller, I didn't really hear anything about fighting on the set with uh, <clears throat> Solo. I, I did hear something about well, like a Woody, Woody, Woody Harrison being kind of a, a diva, but that was all I heard. Yeah, and then they had to. I mean, I don't mean like huge fights, but I mean like they had to retrain the actor. Um, to, they had to bring in an acting coach for mm. him. I mean, they did a great job in the end. He's, he's a fantastic actor in the end. Um, I thought he's, but they, they, there were reports of bringing in a, an acting coach, and then, and then again, just them not liking the whole tone and what they were doing. Right. Like they, they were making a different type of movie. And then Ron Howard, you know, a very experienced director, comes in and like redoes everything, and it's fine. Um, I think that's why with Mandalorian, you have an experienced director now doing that. John Favreau, yeah, um, and then they went, yeah, and then they went with an experienced director for Rise of Skywalker, and they're still having trouble with Rise of Skywalker. But you know, I think, I think they're done with. I think Disney is done with giving projects to inexperienced directors. I think mm. we'll have to. And, see. I, and when I say inexperienced, I mean I'm not talking like some art indie guy who's done 20 independent movies. I'm talking you better have experience managing massive sets that integrate CGI, multiple locations, and huge, you know, epic battles, um, or else, you know, you know, don't come, don't come knocking. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's not that many directors that know how to do that. I there's mean, not, but at the same time, for Star Wars to be amazing, we don't need, like, you know, Red Letter Media always, always complains about it. Like, we don't need a, a blue laser shooting out from the middle of New York City into the sky. Like, we don't need that for every film. The, the world, the galaxy doesn't need to come to an end for every Star Wars film. That's why, that's why I gotta give the, the, the prequels some... Um, this, that's the one thing I'll defend about in regards to The Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace wasn't about the fate of the galaxy. The Phantom Menace was about, like, you know, the fate of Naboo and uh, saving mm-hmm. Naboo. It was about one planet. We don't need the whole galaxy 
You know, we, we don't need, like, these major, major events happening every Star Wars film. Like, we don't need major, major battles, you know? <clears throat> right. Like, like, Empire Strikes Back, the stakes in the end were incredibly low. Like, the control of Cloud City and, like... The fate of the rebellion, kind of? Kind of? I mean, uh, it was the fate of Luke, like... It was more character-driven. The rebellion. Yeah, I mean, it was about Luke... Um, and his personal relationship with Vader at the end, mm-hmm. that was the stakes. And yet, and I would argue that tension-wise, the end of Empire Strikes Back has the most, you know? That's the, and, and it's really just about Luke. Everybody else had escaped, you know? And, and you're having a climax to the movie of just Luke searching for his friends who are already gone, you know? Um, yeah, and it works. You can do tension with, with low stakes, but they, you know they have to they have to feel important to to the viewer like because we care about Luke we spent an entire movie talking about Luke's feelings on Dagobah and then when he goes and he meets Vader like everything's building up to it it's been you know it's been established mm-hmm. it's when you don't have you know when you don't care about people I guess we have to make it big I guess a million people you don't care about is the same stakes as one person you do care about. <laughs> And uh, like, did you feel anything? Speaking of Star Wars, like Attack of the Clones, mm. when, when, like at the end of Attack of the Clones, when those million Jedis who you've never met go into battle the million battle droids that you don't care about and the bug people that you don't care about, what, like, who cares? Like, no, no, you're right. <laughs> there's no sticks. Right. Like, uh, the Gungans, like, I care about one Gungan, maybe, that's, you know, fighting battle droids. But it was a, like, it was a, what, it was what a spectacle. It, it's like uh, Scorsese said yeah. uh, recently, the, these are all amusement park rides, and that's what it kind of feels like sometimes. That's a good word. Yeah, that's a great word. Like, Disney feels like Star Wars movies need to be a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to be a spectacle. Movies don't have to be a spectacle all the time. I think that's a great word for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, to wrap it up, let's talk about um, HBO. HBO like really came out of nowhere and knocked it out of the park. They we reported or we we did a video a while ago where they finished the pilot for Blood Moon and they were giving it to the HBO executives to check it out to see if they wanted to move forward with it. And the almost like the same day there were reports that Blood Moon was not going forward, and they immediately announced the Fire and Blood prequel. Did you see yeah. the poster for it, by the way? I did. I mm-hmm. did. It, it's uh, based on the oh, fuck. I have it. I have it right here. Let me go to my thing real quick because what well, the poster says is a little uh, more interesting here. Because uh, where where is here? It is right here. Uh, based on Fire and Blood by George R. R. Martin, House of the Dragon. So if it's based on Fire and Blood, we're getting the very beginnings of of Fire and Blood with Aegon the Conqueror and his sister wives. I'm hoping because maybe, I really maybe. want uh, the anthology here. As the seasons go on, there are new characters who come in, mm-hmm. characters who who, uh, who go away because they either die or whatever. Ever, I really that's what I want to see. Like I want to go. Now, did history. they did they go ahead with House of the Dragon before a pilot was filmed? Because they filmed the pilot mm-hmm. for Long Night. Here's well. Here's what H. Well, here's what the Game of Thrones official page said. Essentially, what HBO is saying, uh, the series is co-created by George R. R. Martin and Ryan Condal, Miguel Spochnik. Oh, I actually know who this yeah. fucking guy. Is. He didn't he do, do Battle of uh, Winterfell? He did. He did six episodes. Um, I think he did do 
Uh, the Battle of the Bastards. No, no, he did. Um, yes, you're he right. Did. He did Hard Home, Battle of Bastards, The Long Night, and The Bells. Bastards. So the wind, yeah, the bells, long night. So he he's essentially does he's specializing in battles. Yes, he specializes in like big right? like productions like that. And and quite frankly, with Hard Home and Battle of Bastards, fantastic. All I need to do is give this guy a couple of lights for any uh, nighttime scenes, and we're fucking golden. Because goddamn, <laughs> um, I hated the, how fucking dark it was. But no, um, uh, uh, Miguel Spachnik, I probably butchered the hell out of his name, will partner with Condor, a showrunner, and direct the pilot in additional episodes. Condor will be writing the series. So, it's confirmed. Game of Thrones has gone ahead, the official Game of it's Thrones. It's confirmed, but they're, but they're still filming the pilot. It's so backwards. Like, the whole point of a pilot is to see if you want the show. Right. But they're like, we want the show, now film a pilot. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. That's not a pilot, is but it? But they announced it, <laughs> That's just so the first they didn't really announce Blood Moon, but they announced... I don't think they announced Blood Moon, did they? I don't remember. No, no, and I think I think and I think these go in tandem. I I don't think Game of I don't think HBO really wants to put up two Ice and Fire shows at the same time. I think they want to do one. I think when they well, said, you mean okay, HBO doesn't want to be like AMC and put out two fucking like shows set in the same universe? Yeah, no, you don't want you don't want to do that. You don't. I mean, you put your all. I mean, AMC does that because AMC doesn't have anything else going for it. But Ooh. so they're like, we'll put out fucking Walking Dead all day long. But if you know HBO, HBO has, is diversifying their options. You don't you don't want to throw too many ice and fire stuff mm. out there. No, no, you're One right. No, yeah, you're at you're 110 correct. And HBO has always been known for like some good quality shows. I, I we have, I haven't seen the latest episode of Watchmen. We'll watch, I'll watch it today and we'll do something on it. But like um, Watchmen so far, not bad. Um, Westworld. I feel like they were up their own asses a little bit. But once again, Westworld. It's something different. It's something new. Why the fuck not? Um, I really, I really kind of wish that HBO got the rights to the Lord of the Rings thing, but I heard Amazon was pumping in almost a billion dollars into that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, we'll see. But, but it's, I mean, it's, it's very obvious what they're doing. Like they're like, okay, we've got this. I mean, it's, this goes back to our conversation of what directors know how to know how to direct a spectacle, and they've just hired a guy who knows how to direct a spectacle because um, th- that's all he's done. Like, you just go one after the mm-hmm. other, and you're like, oh, battle, 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 right? Um, I mean, I guess Winds of Winter. Is there a battle in the Winds of There's Winter? There's a battle of Winds of Winter, right. but there is somewhat of a spectacle there. The whole thing with Cersei blowing everything up. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. And then he also yeah. did the bells, so, which, you know, as we all saw that one, kind of a right. so, but But I guarantee, I guarantee it's about getting a director that knows how to seamlessly direct big groups of people and CGI and bring the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've pulled in. So we, we know that we're dealing with um, Fire and Blood. I mean, we might be dealing with Aegon's Conquest or maybe we're dealing with the, the Dance of the Dragons. Oh, I fucking hope it's not whatever Dance. the case is. You, you, if they want to do House of the Dragon and reintroduce the Targaryen dynasty, like they really should start with Aegon's Conquest or at least after Aegon conquers everything because that's when it really starts to go down. Like, you know, the whole yeah. uh, uh, getting Dorne to kneel and failing at that and all that stuff, like... They really, sure. they. I mean, mm. the war, the war goes on for years. So I mean, you know, you can, you know, he he's got to do his his first meetings, and there's going to be a lot going on. They can they so, can time skip. Through I, episodes. I think it, I they think can it, totally do it. I think it will be. I mean, I think it will be. I mean, House of the Dragon. It does sound like Aegon's conquest, really. The when you say something like House of the Dragon, it just sounds like the the beginning of the house. Mm-hmm. So. 
Um, but yeah, and we're it's going to be a lot of battles, a lot of battles. I I just want to see. I just want. I just want to go. You know. Through the, through the whole, I, I I just want more Westeros. That's really what I want. Uh, fuck the Starks. The Starks aren't really that important anymore. Thank fucking God. I'm so sick of the Starks right now. I just want more Westeros. I want I want to see more of Westeros. I want other houses. I to just come in. want more of Arya washing bodies. <laughs> that's, um, that's what I want. Um, and more <laughs> more dueling between Arya and Brienne. If we got just a show of them. Like battling each other and her doing flips and shit. Jesus Christ! That's what that's what I'm into. <laughs> Arya doing flips and shit. I wonder how they would end this though, because they they clearly want this to go on for a long period of time. How would they end this though? Would they, would they end it with? Uh, uh, would they end it with uh, Robert's rebellion? Yeah, I think they could. I mean, I don't think that they're gonna do the time skips. I mean. You just get. I think they're going to continue on Aegon's conquest as long as you can, and then if they can, if they can transition. But there's into... not enough about Aegon's conquest that's that's somewhat interesting. Like they're like a lot of the interesting stuff is ma- more with Maegor and Jaehaerys, and we're still doing Fire and Blood, and we went through the first chapter, and it's right. kind of like a repeat of stuff. And like we I already said, knew. You, could, you could pull it like Rome. You could try to do big time skips like Rome, and like in between an episode, a year actually takes mm-hmm. place. You know, a year passes and stuff. You could try to. Pull That's what they with with Thrones season one. I mean, uh, we go from like Daenerys marrying Khal Drogo in episode one to having that miscarriage in what episode ten. That's what nine, ten months yeah. right there. That's true. Yeah, you're you're right. That an entire year can pass. Yeah. So maybe, you know, you can you can I don't know try to grow up some actors quick. But you but you are right that there is there is a a bit of a piece between Aegon. And the wars of Megor the Cruel. And there's a lot of time that passes there. Exactly. So, Not to mention, uh, if they did an anthology series, one of the biggest issues is, once again, budget. Um, these actors, sometimes they get a little too big, and you got to you know keep paying them more money to keep appearing. And with an anthology series, you can just get new guys coming in, in and out, in and out. Maybe uh, one or one person here and there to kind of do like what Stan Lee did like as, as a cameo in every season. Yeah. But, um no, I'm. I, I don't have to pay for Naomi Watts, big big name Naomi Watts. All right. I can pay for so yes, so Joe Schmo. They canceled it, and uh, I feel Naomi Watts was like trending. Uh, poor Naomi Watts. <laughs> poor Naomi Watts, but uh, no, she was trending, and I feel really bad for her because I, it's really like right here, Entertainment Weekly. Worse than the first Daenerys. It, 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 <laughs> <laughs> what about the first Daenerys? I feel bad uh, for her. Nah, I, mean, I, I like Amelia Clark, but. Uh, <laughs> in the first couple of seasons. HBO cancels Game of Thrones prequel starring Naomi Watts. Her face is plastered all over the fucking place. And I just... Mm. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Tamsin Merchant. The, 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 the woman that could have been Daenerys. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. Um, this is what kind of annoys me. Is uh, I don't know if you read the Entertainment Weekly article that says this, but... Uh, from the same one, a second Game of Thrones prequel project focusing on the Targaryen Civil War, however, is still in the works. The project hasn't officially received a pilot order, but with this news, an order seems more likely. So we're here sitting. We're sitting here that thinking. That makes it seem like a dance of the dragon. Yeah, and I, I fucking hope that's that's just a major rumor. I hope that's all it is, is just a rumor, because I really want them to go from the very beginning of Fire and Blood. Because Dance of Dragons, how many seasons could you get out of Dance of Dragons? Two, maybe three. You could probably you could probably get three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, without dragging it out for too long. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, a lot happens. I mean, you could do the build up, like that. You could do the build up with, you know, the rogue prince, down, 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 and then and then move into the dance, and then have you know the dance be a few years, and then, you know, try to, and then uh, I don't know, um, and then that be it. I guess you, you could you know maybe pull it to four or five. It seems like they would get uh, way more, way more seasons out of just adapting all of Fire and Blood. Yeah, it's just it's just that's just something new though. Like like I say, the choice here of the director already tells us that they're risk averse. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we're gonna pull in the guy like the highest rated episodes are those battle episodes. So let's get the director of those battle episodes to be our guy. Okay? Now they they don't want they're not gonna jump to something like new. Like, like jumping to each story every season, jumping 50 years. No way. I mean, I, I admit there is an advantage that you can rehire actors um, and save money uh, on new actors rather than, you know, giving people the, the income bumps. But I don't think that keeps people with the, the show. I, I think they want to go safe, you know, and so they, they, mm-hmm. they I think they're either going to do Aegon's Conquest and then we've got the CGI for Three Dragons or you do Dance of the Dragons, you know, you've got, you've got a few more dragons out there, but um, I don't know, but uh, you get, it's, I think it's safe. You're getting, you're getting battles, you're getting, you know, what people want to see, there's going to be some sex. See, Dance of the Dragons has more sex going mm. on than, than Aegon's Conquest. Yeah, but being thrown yeah. into, like, the middle of, like, like, all that chaos already, like, there's already shit going on as soon as, you know, the whole dance stuff... Even leading up to dance, there's already like stuff going on. I mean, uh, it, it just seems like a safer. They threw us in. They threw us in pretty, pretty hardcore in the first episode of Game of Thrones. N- only in only regards um. to the characters. But when we first get into Game of Thrones, the realm is at peace. And even with with Dance of Dragons, mm. the realm is in somewhat at peace. But there's stuff that's been going on for a while now. When we get into Game of Thrones, I mean. Robert's Rebellion was, what, almost 20 years ago. Uh, the Greyjoy Rebellion, what, almost 10 years ago. There was 10 good years of relative peace in the realm before Season 1 mm. hit. With uh, Dance of the Dragons, it's just there's way more characters, way more stuff going on that you really need to kind of focus on. And I guess it helps because we're already familiar with Westeros, but at the same time, it just seems like a, a better bet to get us to care about this lineage, about this family, starting from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, Westeros was at peace. I gr- granted, they were, like, at war on the Stepstones and stuff like that, but I don't know. Uh, I think it'll work. I think it'll work with, with the Civil War. I think it'll work with the invasion. I don't, I, I don't know. I think that jumping time periods is too risky. I, I just think they're risk-averse. Um, and I don't know. That's just, that would be something new. And they just, they just, want, they just want their check. <laughs> they just want those numbers. Ugh. Yeah, that, absolutely. You know, I just you know I, I I just couldn't see them like taking such a a jump on like doing it an anthology. Mm. Um, the the only the only successful anthology show like that I've really seen where where and when I when I mean like every season is different is is American Horror Story. Yeah. And they did it, and they, but they also pulled it off by taking the same cast and just recasting them in new roles. So people like the actors, and they come back, and they're in different roles, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. But, 
you know, to actually have new characters, new actors every season, I don't know. I don't know if it would work. It could work, but uh, I'm just a sucker for anthology series. That's that's essentially my... I like the Twilight Zone. You know, it's kind of like an anthology thing, kind of. Right, but that's episode. Yeah. That's episode to episode anthology, you mm. know? Um, and, yeah. Well, I'm excited, you know. We got some Game of Thrones stuff incoming. Probably not going to see it until 2021, most likely. I doubt it's coming next year. It's most likely going to hit 2021. No, no way. Yeah. No way. 2021, yeah. Maybe January 2020. God, what I wouldn't kill to see that fucking Blood Moon pilot, because it had to really fucking suck. What I'd kill, what I wouldn't give to to get the the original Game of Thrones pilot, that would be. <laughs> see, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't plan on thing. buying the fucking uh, the. I don't, I haven't, I haven't bought a Game of Thrones Blu-ray in like years. I, I didn't buy season six, season seven. I'm not buying season eight. But what would get me to buy season the season eight Blu-ray is if they put the original pilot in there. Mm. That would have, that would get me to to fucking come yeah. back and uh, to <laughs> to buy this stuff because I really want to see it. Oh sure, oh sure, like the Star Wars, like a Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> Oh. All right, Preston, let's wrap this up. All right, Guys, well, thank you so much for joining us. Preston, thank you for joining me on this uh, whole uh, busy news week, busy news day, couple of days. So much so much, so news. much news. Okay. But uh, guys, thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you again with uh, Fire and Blood on the next Thrones podcast. Have a good one.